Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello my friends, I'm Don Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Our goal here is to reinforce Christianity with the wisdom and words of Jesus, which incidentally are recorded in your Bibles in red ink. Do you know what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and what he said to do? This series is based on the words of Jesus, his life, his friends, his ministry, and his relationship to his Father, as recorded in the four Gospels. Delve into mysteries that have been hidden, not from us, but for us, in the words of Jesus. Well, today we're going to deal with chapter 36 of our little book, The Words of Jesus, and this is the subject of Jesus feeding the 5,000. When the apostles, whom Jesus had sent forth to spread the word, returned, they told him all that they had done and taught. Because so many people seeking Jesus were always coming to him and his disciples, giving them not even leisure time to eat. Jesus said, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. They went with Jesus privately by ship to a quiet and unpopulated place, the neighborhood of the city of Bethsaida. The people saw them going. Many followed, and others, who guessed their destination, ran afoot out of their cities and arrived before Jesus and the disciples. About 5,000 men, besides women and children, they came to this desolate place. Jesus, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd, had compassion on them, and he healed their sick and began to teach them many things. When the day neared its end, the twelve apostles came to Jesus and said, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country around about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. Jesus replied, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Philip, the disciple, said, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient, that everyone may take a little. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon's, Simon Peter's brother, said, There's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Bring them hither to me. Then he instructed his disciples to organize the crowd, saying, Make them sit down in fifties in a, in a company. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fishes, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. He broke the bread and gave it, to the, gave it and the fishes to his disciples to distribute among the multitude. Everyone ate and was filled. When all had finished, Jesus said, Gather ye up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered the remaining fragments, and what was left over filled twelve baskets. Then all had seen, when all had seen this miracle, they said, 
This is of a truth that prophet which should come into the world. Thereupon Jesus, seeing that some among them wished to make him a king, straightway entered the boat with his disciples and crossed to the other side. When he was alone, he went into a mountain to pray. This is probably one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever performed. It's probably one of the most well-known uh, among even the, you know, the slightest of uh, uh, familiarity with the scriptures of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and subsequently the 3,000. And um, so it's, it's kind of held its place as a, as a, uh, a marker in, in, um, in, in Jesus' ministry and is used uh, in, in a lot of situations as a, um, as a metaphor and as it's, it's, it's preached on in, in so many different directions that a little bit becomes a lot when Jesus has it and, and that uh, he, he cares about us and he cares about our little growling bellies and all these things, are, they're fine. However, um, I think that if we, if we examine the words of Jesus here, which is what we do here, um, I think we can see within him a concern about the, the power, the authority, the thought pattern, the, um, the responsibility of his disciples. Now, by that I mean that um, the disciples had concern about the multitude, and he, and he was telling Jesus, we need to send them where they can get what they need. Jesus was making it very clear to them, or trying to, that we have what they need. And only thing that, we, that you and I are going to have to do is to discover, one, what do we have to give them? And uh, when, we, when we decide what we actually have to give them, there can be supernatural power applied to that and make it sufficient and and in in this case and in, in the other case, um, it'll, it'll be sufficient and, and more than sufficient. Um, I think that the understanding that we should have uh, in the ministry as ministers, as Christians in general, uh, we should realize that, that there is an all-sufficiency in Christ that, uh, that we need to be very much aware of and that we need to utilize on their behalf. I talk a lot about uh, the insufficiency of man to handle everyday life, and uh, it is a it is a real concern because you see people that whose lives are really wow they're just really a mess, and and you want to help, and um, and so you see okay in this particular case. You have the disciples saying, if we send them away, then if they're away from us, they can find lodging and something to eat, place to sleep, and these kind of things. The only thing that they're actually mentioning are the physical needs of the, of the persons who have... They, well, you look at the, look at the fact of, of the matter. Let me, let's see if we can put pants on this scripture just a minute. When we have 5,000 men beside women and children, when we have this many men, I assure you there were men there 
I mean, agriculture was not an industry per se in those days. Of course, there was such a thing as people uh, making and selling food in the shambles and these kind of things. However, in most cases, if you didn't involve yourself in agriculture, the chances are you weren't going to eat the next day. Somebody had to gather, somebody had to plant, somebody had to cultivate, somebody had to water. There's, uh, you know, th- that's the way these people essentially went to Publix or went to Safeway or whatever else you know, we do today. Uh, in, in, in the time that they lived, if work in this area wasn't done, then uh, they actually did without. So for us to gather, say, 5,000 people in downtown whatever city uh, in order to have a little seminar or to have a little teaching um, uh, convention or whatever, uh, for us to do that is um, hardly even... It's hardly even a blip on our radar as far as interrupting our lives. But you have to understand that you know, 5,000 people that would walk away from the daily tasks that were required for life was, was quite a thing indeed. It wasn't that the men all left and left their women and children at home to do the work. These are whole families that, were, that came. And so there was a lot of abandoned farms, if you will. They're not farms, of course. They're, you know, that, that's their household. That's the, that's the way they lived. And, but there were a lot of homes that were essentially abandoned to hear what Jesus had to say. And this was a concern. And it, it occurred to the disciples that, you know, this is not necessarily good. These people are going to be hungry, and they're going to faint on their way home. We need to do something. Let's, let's send them to the nearby town. And, um, you know, let these people go. Now, this is, this is not so uncommon. We do have an inordinate amount of concern about our well-being, about uh, what we wear and what we eat and these kind of things that Jesus told us you really shouldn't be so involved and so concerned about these things that uh, our Father knows you have need of these things. And here, he proves it. Now, if you remember, uh, when Jesus was at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, Martha was the kind of person who tried to make sure that all areas of hospitality were covered. Uh, She wanted to make sure that everything was just so. Which, by the way, I really, really appreciate. I don't think that she was suffering from, um, you know, uh, in, in the way we talk about things like this, uh, the unappreciated housewife. Um, no, no, she was, she was doing a wonderful thing. Now, Mary had a little bit different attitude. Mary was, she was, um, I, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to necessarily try to defend this statement if you don't agree, it's okay. But I happen to believe that Mary was a little more spiritual than Martha was. They both had, um, you know, th- these are all great uh, uh, characteristics. However, one was getting in front of the other, and it wasn't that Mary came to Jesus and said, you know, Martha's just way too busy. She needs to come and sit here and listen to what you have to say. Uh, but we do find that Martha was concerned that Mary was there listening to what Jesus had to say, and she wasn't helping. 
Now, what is that? What is going on there? Well, when a person involves themselves in, in learning, sitting at the feet of Christ, you know when Jesus says, learn of me, learn of me, uh, I think that a lot of people read that, that uh, you, know, you know, come to me and my burden is light and you know, the, the load that I carry is, is, is not that difficult. I want you to learn of me. I think that in our vernacular and, and as we translate, mentally translate what we read in King James, I think a lot of times we think that learn of me means to learn about me. But really, if, if you understand that uh, 17th century Elizabethan English, you'll understand that Jesus was saying, you need to learn from me. You learn of me, and I need to be your teacher, uh, which is you know, absolutely foundational as far as our ministry is concerned and what we talk about. But um, Mary was trying to do that. And Martha was concerned about it. I want you to see that it was not the other way around because when a person emphasizes the spiritual, um, it, they are in a different frame of mind than people who are emphasizing the physical. If you are involved, and you know, it's not that one is wrong or one is right or one's better or one's worse, it's, it's really not a matter of that. It's just different. And, um, you know, it's not like, you know, what's best, daylight or dark? Well, it depends on what you're doing, doesn't it? You know, if you're trying to sleep, it's hard to do that out in the sun. And, you know, with the, with the sun burning through your eyelids, uh, it's hard to do that in the light. So, you know, night's better. But if you're trying to work, then day's better. It's not that one is, is bad and the other is good. It's not that one needs to be sought and the other uh, uh, neglected or, or, or refused or rejected in any way. Um, we, really need to, we really need to back off on, on some of our attitudes about, about life, about learning, about our Christianity, about spiritual things. You have to understand that, that, that the spiritual complements the physical. The physical, in many cases, complements the spiritual. Our, our physical existence... Jesus using the, the agricultural terms to explain spiritual principles. It, they all should work together. Um, my father used to have a saying of uh, somebody being so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. This is very, very true. Now, you cannot say that about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and we're going we're gonna to cover that in a, in a, in a subsequent show. Uh, uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But I think that um, in, in this particular situation where Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, the disciples were in the Martha mode, and Jesus was in the Mary mode. And um, when we are dealing with things spiritual, many times the physical... Um, it, you know, it might nudge us from time to time. It might tell us, you know, that we're uh, physically tired and, uh, or somehow fatigued in our, in our spiritual uh, pursuits, our understanding of spiritual things, our Bible studies and our, our Bible reading times, our times of meditation and times of prayer. 
And the physical might nudge us from time to time. But when we get in the center of the Martha mode, the spiritual starts to become almost unimportant. It's almost like we say to the Lord, you know, I got it from here. I can, I can, I can do this from here. But I encourage you to try to commingle these things because they belong together. The spiritual part of our life is the essence of our physical life. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the responsibility that we show on a daily basis to our physical life can very well translate over into our, our spiritual life. And we, sh- we need not separate these things. I think this is one of the dangers of, um, well, I, I'm sure it was the Catholic influence that um, started the idea of coming to Mass on Sundays um, and, you know, the priest standing before. Uh, these are all copies of ancient Israel. And, and uh, I, I'm sure they had good intention uh, that we should all go in and, and uh, you know, read our daily missals or, or whatever, catechisms or whatever, readings or whatever we need to do in order to be good Christian Catholic slash Christian Catholic, I don't know. Um, And we have developed an idea that church needs to come out of the home. People need to come out of the home and become a part of 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 a church atmosphere. Now, nothing is necessarily bad of itself, but mankind does have a tendency to try to simplify things so that he can accomplish whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. Well, if we can take our spiritual life and turn it into only one-seventh of our physical life, many people are satisfied doing that because we live in a physical body. We like being in control. We like you know, handling things in our life. And, and the spiritual need not occupy any more than, than uh, that... Uh, uh, one-seventh, I, I guess is the proper way of saying it, one-seventh of our week. So 52 times a year, we we go to our churches and we get our spiritual food. Look, look I just want you to know um, that that is a recipe for lukewarm Christianity, ineffective Christianity. It's just, you know, you might say, well, it's better than nothing. I don't know that it is, to tell you the truth. I'm not really sure that it is better than nothing because it segregates. It builds a wall between Sunday and Monday. Um, and uh, even if, if you're one who uh, keeps the Sabbath day, look, you keep the Sabbath day seven days a week, you're destroying the Sabbath day and yourself. You just, you just can't, you can't do that. The, Things have purpose and they have place. However, if your spiritual life only consists of, of you know, these several hours, and that's the, that's the other problem, isn't it? Because even people who keep uh, Sunday as the Sabbath, they don't even keep it as the Sabbath. Uh, it's like, um, you know, if, if, you, if you get up and you go to church in the morning, you're done. You're all finished. Even the Catholics... Well, I mean, I'm not picking on Catholics. I mean, they're, I, don't, I don't know that Catholics are any better or worse than any other 
uh, organized religion, denomination. But, you know, they make a way so that you can go to Mass on Saturday night and you're done. You don't have to go back. You know, it's fine. It counts, as, <laughs> as, they, as they may say. Um, and I'm really afraid that people who do uh, go to church on Sunday and they feel like that they have done their duty. Listen, I dare you, <laughs> I double-dog dare you to find where going to church is some requirement that you'll find in your scriptures. Church should be an outgrowth of the physical world, not the spiritual world. Our, our, our congregating together, perhaps on a weekly basis, perhaps it's on a Sabbath evening, perhaps, um, I mean... The feasts of the Lord that uh, are ignored today are wonderful times for us all to get together and do very physical things. We have, we have feasts, we eat, we talk, we, we party, we play horseshoes, or we do whatever we uh, want to do in, in these areas of fellowship, which are extremely important in our spiritual life. And there is just nothing better, absolutely nothing better than for a bunch of God's people to come together and, and, and enjoy one another's company in a physical way and then have that Spirit of God come and, as, as the Quakers use a, a, a beautiful, wonderful term that I think is, has been long since forgotten and I think it ought to be used today, and the Spirit of God come and cover a meeting. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but it's a beautiful thing. It does not come because, well, it's time for the Spirit to cover us. It doesn't come because, you know, we've all met here and this is what time we always meet. Um, what it does is, is it comes where there's that sense of unity and that sense of, of, uh, of camaraderie. It's the sense of sameness that we all have. I get hungry. You get hungry. It's all our... We all have the same physical needs. Well, let's use them to our advantage, shall we? I think that that, um, that, that fellowship is a very, very important part of our, of our spiritual life. And to segregate, to separate the, the so-called spiritual into a particular day or into a particular act, I think is a mistake. Now... You know who's going to resent that, um, that, that time of covering? Who's going to resent that, uh, that time that um, perhaps um, the, you know, the, the meal that was prepared hasn't been uh, properly appreciated? It's going to be the people who are in the center of that Martha mode. And uh, the opposite, I think you'll find that the opposite is almost never true. So... We need to have this time of spiritual. Now, this is not necessarily on Sunday, not necessarily on the Sabbath day. I argue with people all the time. They say, oh, I think we should worship God every day. Well, I do too. <laughs> I do too. But the, the Sabbath has nothing, to, nothing in the world to do with worship. He doesn't say, thou shalt worship me one day in seven. He doesn't say that at all. It says, don't work on this day. Well, when you don't work, you know what it starts to occur to you? Rest. It starts to happen to you. And it naturally flows into fellowship between friends and people of like mind. And, and when people like this get around, 
People start confiding in one another. They start talking about certain things. And then the spiritual part of mankind, which has been nurtured by that time every day you spend before the Lord. People help one another. Iron starts to sharpen iron. Countenance of one man starts to sharpen the countenance of another man. It, and it just happens. And, then, and, and in many cases, covered by the Spirit of the Lord, a physical thing, like a dinner, or like a, a game of horseshoes, or whatever else. I'm just throwing stuff out here. But there have been many a spiritual question answered over a game of checkers. Not necessarily just one guy that you happen to elevate above all the rest of them, standing up and barking at you, or, or even giving you, you know, a, a lovely PowerPoint presentation, or whatever else. I mean, I'm all for teaching. I, li- I like teaching, um, as long as it's kept, you know, in, in its, in its uh, you know, proper um, compartment that Jesus Christ is our teacher, uh, that we're not just mouthing or mimicking or parroting what other people say. But these kind of things can be very, very good if we are balancing this Mary and Martha thing. I'm telling you that an organized, uh, a daily, weekly, on-time kind of a thing, you're just not going to find that in the Scriptures. You're just not going to find it. Matter of fact, as, as time goes on, we're going to talk about the, the kind of meeting that the Scriptures talk about. There's, there's a, 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 a modern-day idea, modern, relatively modern, idea of the way a meeting is supposed to take place that is laid out almost word-for-word word perfectly in the Scriptures. But I dare you to find your service in here. I dare you to find where they... You know, they all meet at a certain time and that they sing a song and they take up an offering and they pray on time and that they do all these, these things in all these organized and, and scheduled and programmed manner. It, I'm just afraid that we're cheating ourselves here. And if we mentally push our spiritual empowerment off into one place in our life, and it's not commingled with the rest of our life on a daily basis, you're going to find that your Christianity is very, very ineffectual. And um, I, I just think, I think that it's a mistake. I think that Jesus in this particular situation shows that we have a responsibility to tell people the truth. We have a responsibility to preach to them the gospel. But we also have a responsibility to see to it that their physical needs are met. And, and, if, and if you'll do it this way, you're not going to just meet their needs. You're going to exceed their needs. I think it's just so clear in this story. All right, our time is gone for now. But uh, I sure do appreciate you taking time to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you. Would you do something for me? I'd appreciate you just taking the time as you walk by your computer uh, to stop and write an email to Don at thinkredinc.com. I'd love to hear about your comments. If you have questions about uh, whatever, um, contact the station, find out our broadcast times, and stay with us. All right, time for us to go. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com.
join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.